0: At Keely Companies, it is no secret that they believe in the power of people. In an effort to help their Kilians get to know each other a little bit better, they decided to launch the Who Do You Know campaign. The goal was simple. Kilians were encouraged to have a conversation with someone outside of their circle. That's it. These conversations, however, have brought people together and farthered their world-class culture. Shout out to the Keelians who have made an effort to have meaningful conversations with new friends. You can learn more about those conversations about those amazing friends by visiting them online at KeeleyCompanies.com.
1: Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary.
0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. A couple questions for you as we open up today's episode. Did you know that 52% of all workers are currently reporting feeling burned out? Did you know that 67% report that their burnout has only increased in intensity over the last couple years? And did you know that this sense of burnout impacts so many individuals, not merely as employees, but as human beings? Uh, We all are today pushing harder and striving harder and racing faster than maybe at any point in history before today. The effect of all of this of course is exhaustion which is making us feel unhappy unfulfilled and frustrated and in steps our guest to help alleviate a little bit of that frustration her name is Erin Strafford she is a burnout and a peak performance expert who surrounded herself with some of the most motivated most ambitious most famous overachievers in the world and yet even these leaders suffer from severe cases of burnout as they struggle to adjust to the post-pandemic world and the pressures it puts on their personal and professional lives. That's why today, Erin's gonna share with us her story, what she learned along the journey of rising up and also falling back down to earth. In addition, she'll provide tools for how you and I can recognize the signs of burnout, the steps to avoid it, and then ultimately how to bounce forward in work, relationships, physically, and in our faith journeys, regardless of the struggle. My friends, here we go. Buckle up. Grab your favorite Live Inspired journal. You're going to love today's guest. You're going to love the topic. If you or someone you care for is looking for a conversation to help you move beyond exhaustion and burnout to renewed excitement and engagement in life, this episode has your name on it. So without further ado, let me bring her on to the stage with me. Erin Stafford, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's so fun to be here.
0: Well, I feel like I'm already on with a friend and I look forward to sharing this friendship with my friends tuning in around the country and around the world. If they were to meet you maybe on a sidewalk in San Diego with a beautiful ocean breeze and they said, "Aaron, tell me about you. How do you respond to that?
1: Oh, gosh. I'm, I am first question would be like, how much time do you have? How many details <laughs> do you want? <laughs> I, I, I like to talk. So let's just put it that way. Um, So about me, I have lived a pretty interesting life and I really make it my mission to live an interesting life. I feel like there's so much to do and see and experience and accomplish, and I want to do as much of it as I possibly can. I feel like I definitely have this sort of zest for life, but (laughs) that can be a double-edged sword because on the one hand, I've always been this very motivated, driven, ambitious person, but... All of those things that make us successful in the early stages of our life can be the very things that Mm. actually cause us to burn out later. And so that was something that I learned the hard way. Um, And so now I'm really trying to practice what I preach and really trying to make sure that I'm still doing and accomplishing and experiencing all those things I want to do, but I'm doing it in a way now where I have built in checks and balances for myself where I'm not overextending and uh, overdoing it so that I burn out again
0: so you mentioned the things that benefited us in childhood can also be the very things that cause us some some pain and and anguish as we become adults so I'm going to go all the way back to your childhood I think your examples around the home were fascinating you wrote a little bit about them but I want you to expand on them a bit more now talk about your dad first he just sounds like a brilliant beautiful humble guy
1: He's the best person on the planet. He just turned 80 last weekend. Actually, I just threw him an 80th birthday party. And I told all of his friends like no presents because Lord knows my parents do not need one more thing in their house. But I was like, come with your favorite story or your favorite memory of my dad. And I'm going to surprise him at dinner with some of these stories because, you know, he's getting older and thank God my parents are still healthy. But I just feel like we wait till people die. And then at their funerals, all their friends tell all these great stories about him and I'm like, "Geez, why aren't we telling these stories to people when they're alive?" So, anyways, I just about lost again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop. Fun.
0: Go back to the 80th party for a moment. What was the yeah. best story you did not know until it was shared that night about your dad?
1: I feel like I knew a lot of them, but he went to Berkeley in the 60s for undergrad and he's still buddies with his fraternity brothers from Berkeley in the 60s, which just blows my mind. But one of his fraternity brothers got up and actually got really emotional talking about it because they both fought in Vietnam during the war and my dad was in the Navy and his friend, I believe, was in the Army. And his friend, the fraternity brother, was talking about how he was on the ground, like in the bushes, hiding, like doing really hard, scary, dangerous combat. And he got all choked up saying, it gave him a lot of peace knowing that his fraternity brother was on the ship on you know, trying to keep them safe while they were on the ground as the boots on the ground. So Mm. just a lot of really beautiful stories were shared. It was, it was really sweet. What was he like as
0: a dad, as a a little girl, what was he like?
1: Both of my parents are great. So, but they're, they're totally different. My parents are like chalk and cheese, like night and day, completely different, but I feel really lucky. I feel like so many people have such horrible childhoods and terrible things. And so often strained relationships with their parents. And I just feel very fortunate that I have parents that still like each other that are still married. You know, my brother and I had a very great upbringing, very privileged as well. I'm very aware of that. I grew up in Southern California in Orange County. My dad and mom both came from nothing. My dad lost his dad when he was 15. His mom ran off with some other guy, left him with his brother, his older brother who had to take care of him. My mom's dad was an alcoholic. He would disappear for weeks, months on end. They would have to go to the church to try and get money to help. And, you know, so both of them had pretty, pretty like not great childhoods. but what they will always say is always felt loved. So even though they had all sorts of difficulties in their childhoods, both of them always knew that their parents loved them and felt very loved. And I think that is a huge Thing that helped them throughout their lives because they both had this burning desire to just do something better for themselves and for their families. So they worked hard, they did well for themselves and they both got educated, have multiple degrees and really instilled in my brother and I a desire, a good work ethic. They never cared like what sort of grades we got. They only cared, are we doing our best? If like a C is the absolute best you can get and you are giving it your all and you are doing everything you can, then that's fine. We're happy with that as long as you are doing your best, you know? So it was nice because I didn't have this pressure that like, I have to get straight A's or I have to be in all honors classes. Um, But they always were really supportive. They've always been really encouraging to us. And we've always known that we have like a safe place to land if things go wrong. And as you know, things go wrong. Things do things go wrong. Happen throughout your life, where you're like, I might need to go stay with my parents for a little while and get my life back together.
0: We'll come back to that story in a moment. That's one yeah. of the questions I did want to ask you about. But before we get there, we got to create some of the storm. What was it that you wanted to study in college? I know you went off to even to study French, but what were you trying to do in your life?
1: I just wanted to live an interesting life. I still just want to live an interesting life. So I finally settled on political science, but I went to school in France. So I moved to Paris when I was 17. I went to the American University of Paris, which was like just the most incredible school ever. I was there for two years and then I transferred to UC Santa Barbara, but studied French, studied political science. And it was just so cool because I was at like an international school. There were only 700 students at the time, but there were over a hundred different nationalities. So to be in such a culturally diverse environment mm-hmm. in those very formative years of my life were amazing because I had friends from all over the world that were just so different from me and had such different beliefs and backgrounds and upbringings. And like it was just such a fascinating time. And then I worked for like 10 years after that. And then I went back to graduate school at Cambridge in England and studied basically social psychology. So I I had been a celebrity stylist in Hollywood for a while, and I wanted to kind of go deeper on the psychology behind how we feel about the way we look. So I was really digging into like how demographics, education, our peer groups, et cetera, affect our like development of self-confidence and how we feel about ourselves, et cetera. So it's interesting that now I'm like kind of taking some of that psychology and of like applying, applying it to it. my work with burnout.
0: Well you you, you name drop so we'll let you hover over it for a moment longer Cambridge. I mean really one right? of the most pristine universities out there. You're getting your master's there. You you're incredibly driven. And you you graduate with uh what cum laude with honors is that right?
1: Well, it's a whole different system there, but yeah, with honors.
0: It reminds me, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. So you are on top of the world, but as soon as you graduate from it, it feels like you are buried underneath the weight of the world. What happened?
1: I graduated 14 years ago from Cambridge and I still pinch myself that like, I actually was able to go to Cambridge. And the whole time I was there, I was just like, I'm living in Harry Potter. Like this is the most incredible, beautiful prestigious experience ever. So I had these incredible friends that were all so interesting and everyone's so smart. I'm getting intoxicated by the fact that like Tennyson went there and Sir Isaac Newton and Darwin, like Charles Darwin. Okay. Like these are people who have done the most incredible things in their lives. And I'm sitting there going, I really haven't done anything in my life compared to that. So you come out of this experience where you just feel like you're in the center of academia. And then all of a sudden I moved back home to Southern California and I'm like 30 years old at this time, I'm unemployed, I'm single. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs from student loans and credit card debt from being in grad school and not because you're not allowed to work when you're at Cambridge. And just feeling like woe is me pity party I couldn't find a job. Like it just, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And I had all these other friends that were like married now and having kids and buying houses. And I just was like, Oh my God, I'm sleeping in my childhood bedroom at my parents' house. I'm single. I don't even want to date because who would want to date me living at home with my parents, you know, just the downward spiral that we can go into. And it took a lot. I ended up moving up to Sacramento um, because I had a cousin up there and some friends and I got a job up there and that That was really a nice change for me. It saved me. Like I just was able to kind of find my groove again and get back to myself and realize, no, actually I've done a lot and I have a lot to offer and a lot to give, but it took a a, a change of scenery and a a new outlook to to get me there.
0: You've had such a varied resume. I mean, (laughs) every industry out there twice. Uh, so just, I'll let you handpick a few of the the jobs that you've had, but whatever you want to celebrate with our community, where you worked and then what you learned working there.
1: Yeah. It always made perfect sense to me, the steps I was taking. And thankfully one thing that was to my advantage was that I've always generally worked in the sort of advertising, marketing, media communications world of varying degrees. It it wasn't like I was like selling real estate and then I was like a a physician assistant. And then, you know, like they were all roughly in the same general kind of world. But yes, after I graduated from undergrad, I lived in London for five years and I worked in advertising, online advertising. And this is back in like 2002. So I always say we were like the dark and dirty people pounding the pavement, selling banners and pop ups and skyscrapers, all the annoying things on websites. But this is at a time when nobody wanted to buy them. This was long before everything I'm sorry, took early off. internet. It was humbling, but I had incredible bosses that really taught me the power of building relationships in order to sell. I had a great time, and then I ended up working for MTV Networks Europe. I was heading up there. Um, Online advertising digital department, which was incredible. I mean, working at MTV, I'm an 80s baby. So, like, MTV was huge in my childhood, you know, watching Total Request Live and like all the real world and like all of those cool shows. Like, that was my childhood. I then came back to the States, was a celebrity stylist in Hollywood for a while, started as an assistant to a big celebrity stylist, and then Branched out and started doing it on my own. That was fun and wild and crazy. And I never need to do that again. Um, when's the, when's I definitely that is
0: a bestseller if it ever ends up. Being I feel like that produced. book's
1: already out. The Devil Wears Prada. Like, just, you know, close. I realized she was a magazine editor, but very similar. It was It was a crazy time. But I learned a lot and I feel like I got to see. The inner workings of Hollywood and was dressing people for the Academy Awards and the Emmys and the Grammys and like stuff that people dream about. But eventually the stress of that was like, I don't want to deal with Hollywood. I'm curious,
0: you know, you're dressing Jessica Simpson, like some of the biggest name celebrities at that time, you're helping look beautiful.
1: What is something
0: you learned back then that is applicable to life today for you?
1: (laughs) That it doesn't matter how big a celebrity these people are or how beautiful you think they are. They are just as insecure about how they look and how they appear as everybody else. Like they are just people like everyone else. Everyone shares the same struggles. It doesn't matter if you are in front of the camera or not. Like everyone is struggling with the same stuff.
0: Mm. So you bounce and bounce and bounce. You keep moving your way forward in life. And ultimately, it kind of culminates in you getting this breakout opportunity.
1: So I ended up working as the head of marketing for the largest healthcare staffing company in the country, incredible opportunity. And obviously I got that job before the pandemic, who knew what what was heading our way. When I started, we were about a $400 million company. When I finished and left, we were about an $11 billion company. So just dramatic growth. We grew from my team having like three people on it to having about 75 people. We had one brand when I started. When I left, we had maybe eight, nine or ten different brands. I really feel like me and my team were a huge part in the growth. Clearly, it was not just me. Like there were a lot of moving parts to why this this business grew so successfully. But I feel really proud of what I accomplished there and the marketing and the branding and the notoriety that the brand was able to garner while I was there. So, and then, as you can imagine, 2020 rolls around and we have a pandemic and now even though working on the front lines i'm not a nurse i'm not a doctor i'm not a frontline mission but i felt very much responsible for making sure that our hospitals had the clinicians that they needed and it really did feel life and death you know because we would have hospitals calling us saying we need a hundred nurses like tomorrow you know and so we're, we're madly working around the clock trying to make this happen and just like so many of the the healthcare workers, I burnt out as well. It was a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, but also I had a lot of other things happening in my personal life. At the same time, my husband and I had been on a four-year fertility journey. We'd done multiple rounds of IVF. We'd had miscarriages. His dad got sick and died at this time. And so just like so many other people, we couldn't see him. We couldn't hold a funeral, We had to put our dog down. I mean, there was just like this whole laundry list of other things that were happening in my personal life on top of the fact that I was working around the clock in this pandemic to try and get hospitals staffed with the people that they need. So it was just kind of the perfect storm for a serious like bout of burnout and like mental decline.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you're not alone in this, but it's certainly a storm you faced and uh, one that many of our listeners face or they faced in their past, what did you do as, as you're dealing with the loss of your father-in-law and the loss of your dog and the loss of these children that you were hoping to bring into the world. And this job that you love is requiring every inch of your life, 18 hours a day, seven days a week. So what do you do as all this stuff is circling around you?
1: I mean, you cry a lot at first. (laughs) I mean, I didn't know I'd never really experienced this before because I was the person that thought burnout was like total BS. And something that happened to other people, not like high achiever driven people like me. I was like, come on, like take a nap, get over it, get your life together. Like, what do you mean you're burnt out? Like totally no sympathy, such a jerk. And then it happened to me and I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is actually a real thing. I can't yoga and acupuncture my way out of this. Like, I actually have to make some changes because I'd been at the company for so long. I was eligible for a two or three month full paid leave of absence. I didn't even take it because I was like, how embarrassing there's nothing actually like wrong with me. I'm taking a leave of absence. Like how do I come back from that? What's my team going to think? What's my boss going to think? What are my colleagues going to think? And I'm like, that's part of the problem. So many organizations have tools available for people to take advantage of when they're having these issues. But so many of us are too embarrassed to even take advantage of the tools that are there. So there's a lot of work that's, that's happening around this. That's hopefully changing the, the narrative a bit, but I took a couple weeks off. I learned how to do transcendental meditation and I started meditating twice a day. And I started going to a like holistic health doctor that did like every blood test under the sun. And I, I've always been pretty healthy. I've always eaten well and exercised and stuff, but she put me on a different diet all these supplements. I was doing acupuncture. I was going to yoga. I was, you know, doing all the things, but eventually I was doing too much. I was like, my, my schedule was jam packed with every recovery tool I could think of. I was like, am I relaxed yet? And I wasn't like, at some point I just had to take more off the schedule. Like, I I looked at recovering from burnout as like the next thing I was going to accomplish. And it really just took me having to start making some mental shifts in my head of like, just stop. You just have to stop and do a little less. Like you can't do everything all the time and really evaluating what success Mm -hmm. was because okay, great. You have a wonderful job. You're making good money, but like you're too broken and tired and exhausted to actually enjoy the success that you have. So it's like, well, then is this really success?
0: You save that really for the very end of your book where you have a doctor who says, uh, do you want a baby or do you want a job? She She was my
1: therapist. Yeah.
0: With therapist, very, very, very direct with you. Uh, so Sometimes those who are most high achieving need to be reminded of the thing that they're moving toward might require them to slow down. Tell us what a yeah. trap is.
1: I, I mentioned it earlier. It's really all of those things that help us be successful are the very things that can cause us to burn out. And so as, as motivated people, leaders, drivers, people that have big dreams and visions for their lives, how do we continue to kick butt and achieve at the highest levels, but do it in a way where we don't burn out? And it really takes a lot of small shifts. I liken it a lot to diet and exercise because I think we can all understand diet and exercise pretty well. We don't get to just eat well and exercise one day. And then all of a sudden we're like in amazing shape for the rest of our life. No, we gotta drink the water, have less booze, get the salad instead of the French fries, you know, the fruit instead of the hash browns, like take the stairs. We've got to make all of these small adjustments throughout our life for the rest of our life. If we want to continue to stay healthy, then the same exact thing is true with burnout. We don't get to just go on a 10 day, two week vacation and think we're going to come back and be fine. No, if we don't change our mindsets and our behavior, we're literally just postponing the burnout. Okay, great. you you went to Cabo for 10 days. Wonderful. You probably had a good time but you're going to come back and be just as burnt out as you were before you left. If you don't change any of your thinking. And so I really had to reevaluate what I was doing. There's this great um, study out of Gartner, the big research firm that talks about proactive rest. And it's this notion that you just use rest as something that we use to recover from burnout or being exhausted. We've got to look at rest as something that we need to proactively put into our days and our weeks and our months so that we prevent the exhaustion and burnout in the first place. And so I give a few examples of what this can look like. And obviously it will be different for everybody, but maybe it's having 50 minute meetings instead of 60 minute meetings with your teams. And you give them those 10 minutes back where they can just sort of catch up, go to the bathroom, get a coffee, walk outside for five minutes and get some fresh air, or just catch up on emails. You know, maybe it's like having your kids carpool to school with somebody else for the day. Cause you need a break. Right. Maybe, you know, like just turning the music off in your car when you're driving to give your nervous system a moment to just stop and be quiet. I feel like we're always so bombarded with text messages and notifications and phone calls and all the things that we then get in our car and we're like, let's listen to music or, Oh, I'm in the car for 45 minutes. I should be productive and listen to a podcast. It's like, no, just give yourself a moment and just like relish the quiet for a minute. So it's small little things like that, that I really had to start incorporating into my life to make these changes.
0: So there's there's a quote that hangs on my wall. What is most personal and private is also most universal and common. Mm. So what you are going through is now happening at scale. How common is burnout in not only Western world, but just around the, the world itself?
1: It's it's very prevalent. It's a whole epidemic, really. You turn on any news channel and you're still hearing stories about burnout and the great resignation. Sure, the great resignation is technically over. That term is over, but people are still leaving their jobs. People are still burnt out. And I think post-pandemic, people are still really evaluating their relationship with work and how they want to spend their time and how they want to engage with their colleagues, with their team, how much they're willing to work how many hours they're willing to work, what sacrifices they're willing to make. Um, but people are still struggling with burnout every single day. Thankfully, I do feel like we're talking about it now and it's become a much more common term. It's become something that that organizations are invested in okay. financially and mentally. Um, but we have got to be careful of is making sure that as an organization, we're not investing in our employees' burnout prevention the sole purpose that it helps the bottom line, because employees can see through that in a microsecond. Like if you're just caring about my mental health, because it helps your bottom line, I'm like, "Mm, screw you. I'm out of here. But if you genuinely care about me as a human being, then I will go above and beyond to make things happen for you as an organization. But it's got to be coming from an authentic place, not just from a place of, oh, let's make sure you're good. So you continue to help our bottom line.
0: When we're using the word employee in business frequently, but I just want to make sure our listeners and viewers recognize this could be a, a partner taking care of her age, oh, partner, 100%. As they, right? It, 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 all of us are at risk of burnout. So 100%. You, you lay out a, a few strategies on how we can alleviate that risk a little bit. Uh, shift. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to walk through all five of them, but I, I do think some of them are worth talking about. Talk about decoding your flow.
1: So it's really, instead of trying to master everything, no matter what, just being really strict and methodical about how we spend our time. I think so often as people that have big dreams and visions for our lives, as, as motivated, driven achievers, we think we can like do anything because we're hard workers and we're willing to put in the time and energy to make things happen. We will go to the conferences. We will listen to the podcast. We will take the online courses. We will read the books, like all the things the desire that we have to do and accomplish everything. And we have to master everything ourselves when the reality is nobody's good at everything. Mm. And by doubling down on the things that you're not good at, it only just drains you and leads to more burnout, leads to exhaustion and prevents you from doing the things that you genuinely enjoy. So I have a number of different tactics and ways you can do that, but really trying to figure out how can I spend my time doing more of what excites me, more of what I enjoy, more of what I'm good at, and then ask for help and assistance in those areas that I'm not as great in and that, quite frankly, I don't want to be great in. That's mm. not my jam. That's not what I want to do. And spending more time doing that is just going to drag me down.
0: You also uh, suggest that we invite a board of, of directors to come alongside of us. Yeah. Like traditional, since not monthly meetings held at 6 a.m. Yeah. Tell us what that means in your world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So creating a personal board of directors and it's really this notion of we don't have to master everything. We don't have to do it all. So often as we get older or further along in our career, a lot of times we think we, ha- we should know this by now. Like, oh gosh, I've been working for 25 something years. Like I should know how to do this. Or I have all these people on my team now and they're all looking at me for the answers. And so it's being comfortable and okay, asking for the help and finding people that can help you. And so often we think that we don't want to bother people. We don't want to inconvenience them. We don't want to take up their time. So I just won't ask them for help. But the reality is people love helping. It makes us feel good about ourselves when we're able to help someone. So, so often when we fail to ask for help or we fail to find those people that are really good at that thing we need to, to be better at, we're actually denying that person the pleasure of being able to help you, which always feels so good. So it's, really thinking through who are the people that you know, that are kicking butt in an area of your life that you need help in. And this isn't always work. This could be your marriage. Maybe you need some parenting help. Maybe it's like your fitness and nutrition or finances. You really need to find somebody that is just dialed in and can get you on a budget and get you help with your taxes or whatever it is. Who, what are those areas of your life that you need some support in and how can you seek out individuals that are really good at that area now, or even if they're not really good, they're just a bit better than you. How mm. can you start drawing on those people and start collecting them as your personal board of directors that you can look to the next time you need some help?
0: Pivot like a pro. Yeah. That's your third strategy. I think it's critical in business. It's also absolutely essential in life. Why, why is pivoting like a pro so important?
1: Well, so these pivots don't have to be these like massive 180s. So many people think that pivoting, and especially when I come in and talk about burnout, so many organizations are like, you're not going to tell all our employees to just quit their jobs, right? I'm like, no, I'm not. I would never do that. Because the reality is these pivots don't have to be massive 180s to get us out of ruts. These pivots can be small, little shifts. So often we can get so dead set on this destination as leaders, as people that have Big visions, like I keep saying, for our lives, we set goals and come hell and high water, we will figure out a way to make it happen. Mm. But life happens, things change, our thoughts, our desires change, circumstances change, and sometimes that goal that we set out that we said we were going to do, it may not end up being the thing we actually want to do, and we could sort of evaluate it and think, "Gosh, am I doing this because?" My parents want me to do this because my husband wants me to do this because I feel obligated to do this. Like, why am I still on this path doing this thing that doesn't serve me anymore? I'm not that interested in anymore. How can we say, I'm not going to go down this path anymore. I'm going to make a little pivot and move in a direction that actually brings me more joy. And that excites me now.
0: In that same chapter, you talked about paying attention to what you're joking about. Yeah. And I thought, I thought that's yeah. like actually very insightful. I, my mother taught me years ago to like pay attention to humor because there's so much truth within it.
1: There really is. And it's true. Like jokes are just jokes until they're not. If you are constantly making jokes about your weight, about your partner, about your boss, about your job, that's a great sign that there might be time for a pivot. And even and these can be subtle. It can just be like when people ask you how you people ask you like how work is and you're like, oh, just living the dream. Like that's a joke that you're making about the fact that you're actually miserable in your job. This doesn't have to be like a fully teed up joke you would hear on a Netflix special, but those little underhanded comments and stuff, like pay attention to those.
0: And the fifth strategy, you, you go through a whole lot of ways to take a victory lap, but one of the most simple ones is just to create a win box. Yeah, a win box, box, yeah.
1: So I call it a win box. It's like your inbox, but it's just full of wins. So often, especially as you grow in your career or you get older and you have more kids and more responsibilities, we don't get a lot of wins. We don't feel like we're getting a lot of like slaps on the back. We're we're really just our team might be praised. We're so focused on like making sure our kids or our spouse or our family or teams happy, we forget sometimes that we're actually doing a really good job, and so. My suggestion is in your inbox, if you have a bunch of folders so that you can coordinate and organize your inbox, create a little box that says wins. And anytime you get an email from a colleague, a friend, a family member, your boss, drop it in the the win box in that little wins folder um, so that you can remind yourself of some of the great things that you've done. And these can be really simple emails of like, hey, thanks so much for covering for me when I was out of the office, like you saved the day or... Thanks for organizing such a great birthday party for whoever. It was such an honor to be there. Like these, these don't have to be like huge gushing emails about how wonderful you are, but anything that just sort of makes you feel good for a moment, puts a little smile on your face, gives you a little boost of confidence, drop it in that wind box so that when you're having a day, when you're kind of feeling a little down or woe is me about yourself and you're spiraling, go in the win box and just read through some of those emails again, because it'll, it'll give you a little boost of confidence. And if you want to kickstart this, send a wins email to somebody else. Who is that person in your life that over the last five days has done something great for you or has made you happy or has reminded you of something good. Send them an email and tell them how thankful and appreciative you are because they may send you something back, but if not, you're putting good karma out there and eventually it will come back to you.
0: We're talking a lot about burnout professionally, but yeah. obviously burnout is also true in relationships and in emotional yeah. health and wellness, financial burnout. For those of us who feels if we're an inch away from burnout in life, you use the term dark hole. We're moving toward the dark hole and it's beginning to encompass us. What What's the next right step for them?
1: I mean, it's so hard to make one general assessment because like obviously everybody's circumstances are so different, but I think the first step is really becoming aware that you are in burnout or rapidly approaching burnout. I think it's very easy for us as human beings, whether professionally or personally to just think, oh, I'm just a little tired. Like I'll just try and get some more sleep tonight. We just push things down, push things down, push things down. And we don't actually recognize some of the warning signs that we are burning out. And I always say, you know, when you start to gain a little weight, you can tell your pants get a little tighter and it's very obvious that you're like, oh God, I've been eating and drinking a little too much. Fortunately, it's not that obvious with burnout. So it's important to really dial in and be familiar with what those warning signs look like. And so I have like a whole assessment in my book um, that gives you and it helps you evaluate like six different areas of your life and, and whether you're approaching burnout or not. So think first and foremost, recognize that it can happen to you. It is a real thing. Um, and to really start to research what some of the burnout warning signs are, because it'll blow your mind how many there are and mm-hmm. how prominent and prevalent they can be. And it might just wake you up to realizing like, okay, I actually am burning out. I have to start making some changes and proactive rest is like the easiest first step to start incorporating into your life.
0: Well, there's a question you gave us about halfway through your book, which is what is more important to now this thing or my health? Yeah. That's an Important question from time to time to be asking as we race through the day, what is more important to that thing that race yeah. my life?
1: Yeah. What's better for my health. I had a post-it note on my desk when I was in the throes of my burnout of what's better for my health. And it could be simple things like, you know, when you're working from home and you're trying to do the laundry and you haven't eaten lunch yet, but you've got a call in 10 minutes that you need to be on. And you're like, oh, well, let me just go make the bed and throw the laundry in and not eat. And then your call starts in a minute. And you're like, oh, I got to jump on the call, but you still haven't eaten anything, but the laundry's done. You know, like who cares? Go to the bathroom, go get some food, you know, nourish yourself so you can move on. And those are such simple examples, but it's true. Like What is better for my health? And I, that is a question that I had to go through and ask myself probably 10 times a day when I was trying to do too much. Cause I think as a society, we're all trying to do too much, whether you work or you're a stay-at-home parent, like we're all trying to do too many things. And at some point you just have to ask yourself, okay, what's better for my health? Great. That's what I'm going to do in this particular moment right now.
0: Aaron Stafford, we have the joy of bringing on friends from all over the world down to this podcast, and we have seven questions that tether all of them together. They're called the Live Inspired Seven. Okay. The first one, and this might be difficult for you because you've, you you parted at, at Harry Potter's house in Cambridge. But what's <laughs> what's been the most impactful book you've ever read?
1: So many good books, but I would say probably one of my favorite books that like has helped shift my thinking was Rich Dad Poor Dad by Kiyosaki. Um, love that book. I thought that was a really clear approach to finances and makes it very clear as to like what's important and and what you should be spending money on, what you should not be spending money on.
0: I love that book. What's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little girl in Southern California that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today?
1: I feel like I'm so similar to who I was when I was a kid. I'm going to answer this slightly differently and say, one of my favorite traits about myself is that I am optimistic and resilient. And I think that that is one of the best characteristics that I still carry forward that like, no matter what stumbling blocks and things come my way, I have the resilience to just keep going and keep going and keep going.
0: Fair enough. If your home caught fire and all living things are out oh safely. You have an opportunity now of running in and grabbing one physical item. What's the physical thing you come racing back outside with?
1: I would say photo albums. I have some really great photo albums of like my family and my childhood and stuff. And they're just, they're so special and you can't get those back.
0: No, you can't. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous San Diego day and have a nice long conversation with anyone living or deceased, who would you like to be seated next to?
1: Oh, probably my Uncle Jerry. He died uh, a number of years ago, and I'd love to catch up with him.
0: What is the best advice, Uncle Jerry, or your mother, father, brother, or anybody else ever gave you? So the best advice you've ever received, Aaron, is?
1: Oh, many good pieces of advice. We'll stay on the Uncle Jerry track because he was hilarious. But I don't know if this is the best piece of advice, but I love this piece of advice from him. He used to do these things where like, if you had a really crap day, Something terrible is happening in his life, he would take himself out to a really nice lunch. He'd go by himself, find a nice restaurant, he'd order a steak, he'd have a glass of wine or a martini, and he would just sit there. And what he would say is he'd declare victory and just have a nice lunch by himself, reassess, recharge, like change his perspective. And then finish his lunch and like carry on with his day, like in a new direction. I love that, and I've done that many times when like life is throwing you nothing but lemons, and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna go take myself for a nice lunch. We're gonna we're gonna have a nice lunch.
0: Well, if we're I see you in Southern at, we're California after
1: this, yeah, if I
0: see you eating a steak by yourself during lunch <laughs> hour, I'm just gonna give you a big old <laughs> hug. You should know that uh, I will give you the love you you need. What advice would you give yourself at age 20? If you could go back in time and whisper some wisdom your way.
1: I don't have to be in such a hurry that we hopefully God willing have long lives ahead of us and that I don't have to keep racing and comparing myself to everybody and how quickly they did it and have to do it quicker than them.
0: Aaron, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read? Oh gosh, these are deep
1: questions.
0: No, no, dude. It was all a warm-up for the live inspired seven.
1: <laughs> I would want it to say something like she lived an interesting life and helped others lead interesting lives. I would say it, it would be it would have to be more poetic and succinctly than that, but something like that.
0: Aaron Stafford, you do indeed live an interesting, vibrant, <laughs> impactful life, and through your work and research and our words, you're helping others do the same thing in theirs. I, I just appreciate what you're doing, and uh, appreciate you spending time with our community today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for sharing your inspiring story and all the work that you do to inspire so many millions of people around the world. Because it really, it's inspired me, and I know it's helped so many other people's lives. So thank you for having me
0: my friends that is aaron stafford my name is john o'leary and today is your day what a gift live inspired my friends my favorite part of today's conversation with aaron was the idea of proactive rest rather than seeing rest as only something we do when we're exhausted or tired or burned out What if we planned it into our days and into our schedule? It's a great idea as we think about meditation, reflection, journaling, prayer, time for you to reconnect with the things that matter most in your life. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode as part of your life today, you're going to love the conversation we had with Dr. Mike Rucker. There are numerous health and well-being challenges that we deal with today, like isolation, cynicism, burnout, negativity, divisiveness. And yet there is one surprising solution to each. You ready for it? Fun. Fun. Here, Mike share how intentionally increasing joyful moments can improve your health, your relationships, your productivity, your life, while also providing specific guidance to help you make the most out of your time and create more space for having fun in your one life. You can listen to Dr. Mike Rucker on the Live Inspired podcast number three. 532 or by cruising over with me right now to com forward slash podcast I want to thank you again for being part of our Live Inspired Podcast community and I want to thank you also for believing like I do that the foundation is firm, the headwind is real but the best is yet to come so for this time and until next time my name is John O'Leary, today is your day friends Live Inspired. You know that Keeley Companies is all about fostering the world-class culture through their incredible cultural pillars. Well, it was time to add a seventh cultural pillar, Keeley Green. Guided by the mission to raise the sustainability standards by which they design, build, operate, and live, Keeley Green is dedicated to using a holistic approach to leave a positive impact on our environment, create a future that is sustainable for generations to come. In the words of Rusty Keeley, we are just getting started. You can learn more about that just getting started mentality and all the work they do by visiting my friends at Keeley Companies online at KeeleyCompanies.com.